<laughs> now, if that didn't make you want to be in a small group, I mean, that's pretty entertaining stuff. But we're wrapping up our series this week, uh, Come Together, and we're going to try to get you, get you to sign up today, get you committed, and just the C word for some of you, uh, it, it's, it, that, that, that will mess you up. But we're, that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, let me just say this, if you've ever read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's not the Beatles, that's, that's the Gospel writers. If you've, if you've ever read the Gospels, you already know that while Jesus was on this, this earth, for the lack of a better term, he was irresistible. Now that's not the way Hollywood portrays him. When you ever see Jesus in a movie, he looks like he's had one too many Valium or Ativan and you know, that look, the lights are on but nobody's home. That wasn't Jesus. I think when Jesus was on this earth, he was the most winsome person who ever lived. I mean, people loved him. They followed him. Children, children just flocked to him. In fact, when Jesus was on this earth, you either loved him or you hated him, but you could not ignore him. He was never marginalized. He was front and center. He was an irresistible force, and he came with an irresistible message. In fact, Jesus was so irresistible. Think about it. That's why they finally had to get rid of him. There was one time where the religious leader says, we got to do something because everybody is leading, leaving us and they're following him. Why were they following him if he looked like some zoned out guy all the time? No, they followed him because he was irresistible. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way or not, but Jesus left and he left us in charge. He says, I want you to go make disciples. I want you to transform the world. He, he left and, and he put his mark on the church, the local church. And when Jesus left us here, we became the representation. Think about this now. The local church became the representation of Jesus on this earth. That's why I asked Carl to sing that song. We literally are his ears, his eyes, his hands, his feet, his words. We are the representation of Jesus on this earth. And if we represent Jesus on this earth, uh, the implication is, is we're to reflect what he reflected and as that happens if we reflect what Jesus Christ reflects we have that uh, the, we accept people where they are we love them we encourage them we build them up we support them regardless of what's going on in their life we also are going to become irresistible we are going to be a church that people can't stay away from and just so you know that's the kind of church that we set out to create from the day we started Hope Community Church when we started it 18 years ago, our desire was to be something different. We didn't want to just be a replica of another church. We didn't want to be a better version of an old version. We kind of decided we, we want to be what God described the church as in Acts chapter 2. And if you were here the very first week of our series, I began with this passage, Acts 2 beginning in verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Wouldn't that be cool? Selling their possessions and good, they gave to one another. They gave to anyone as he had need. In other words, they had each other's back. If somebody was coming up short, somebody said, no, I'm here to help you, right? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And get this, enjoying the favor of all the people. In other words, not everybody, not everybody became a believer. Not everybody joined the church. Not everybody became a follower of Jesus Christ. But the people even surrounding the church and the community, they were impressed by them. They saw the church as irresistible. And notice this, because of that, the Lord added to their number daily, daily, those who were being saved now as i said before that was church at its best i don't know if it's ever been duplicated but if hope community church is ever going to be at our best we're going to have to experience this kind of community we're going to have to get to the point where we're connecting in with one another in such a way i know what's going on in your life you know what's going on in my life there's this sense of belonging there's this natural sense of community now why is this so important that we would spend an entire series on the topic 
It's because those of us who are in leadership at Hope, we believe that real life change happens within the context of structured relationships where there is life on life, people doing life together, where there's accountability. It's where people know what's actually going on in your life. It's when you're struggling, they can pray for you, but when you come out the other side victorious, they can celebrate with you. We believe that this is the environment that we can set ourselves up for where God can and will do great things in and through our lives. And even though every one of us know this is true, Every one of us sitting here this weekend, we may not say, but we want these kind of relationships, real relationships. We, we need these kind of relationships. So even though we want it and we need it, it's really, really hard for us to pull off. I mean, we're in this dog-eat-dog -dog world, and if you don't give 150% at work, somebody's going to walk all over you and get to the top, and you're going to be left behind. And there's so much going on with family and relationships, all of these things. Even though we want these things, instead we settle, we settle for pretend. Pretend relationships. Pretend relationships on Facebook. Pretend relationships through social media. Even pretend relationships one-on-one. -on -one. How are you? Fine. How's the weather? Great. How about the Niners? Yeah. And we settle for that. But deep down inside, there's this longing to belong, to be in these kinds of relationships. But even though we feel that way, there's just something about us. There's just a natural tendency in all of us to separate what I call our internal spiritual life from our external relational life. We just kind of keep the two separate. I mean, I think we have a tendency to think like, okay, God's over here. This is the God part of my life. And I pray to him. And, 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 and mostly he ignores me. But, you know, every once in a while God shows up in my life and he does something unique and he does something special. But over here I have my family. Over here I have my work. I have my business, my friends, my social life. And, and again, every once in a while God will show up over here and he'll do something kind of cool, right? But for the most part, these two, they're separated. The God part of our life, the external part of our life as it relates to relationships, it's almost as if there's this artificial barrier between the two. But what we have to understand is the Bible teaches against that way of thinking. Because the Bible teaches this, even though your relationship with God is personal, it was never intended to be private. Let me say that again. Even though your relationship with God is very personal, it is a personal relationship. You get to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe because his son died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be reconciled back to him. So Paul says in the Roman, Romans chapter 8, you can call him Abba, Daddy, Daddy. That's the relationship you get to have with the God of the universe. It is a personal relationship. But even though you have a personal relationship with God, it was never intended to be private. But a lot of us keep it private. What's going on in our lives, we don't really open up to other people about. I'll never forget, a few years ago, I was at the gym, and I was working out, and uh, I was between sets, and I was just sitting there on the bench, and a lady walked up to me, and she said, are, are you a pastor? And I'm like, oh, yes, who told you, you know? And uh, she just began to hemorrhage about her life. Her marriage was dysfunctional. Her husband's dysfunctional. She's dysfunctional. Her kids are dysfunctional. She came with a dysfunctional family. There's hurt, deceit, betrayal, abuse, this long history of just mess. And I listened and I listened and I listened and I never, I don't even know if I ever asked her name. And I listened and I listened and finally when she stopped talking, I said, I mean, is there, is there anybody in your life you can talk to? Is there anybody that knows what's going on? And she said, no, it's just too personal. And I think because of that, we often find ourselves in the exact same 
situation. But what you got to understand, what I want you to understand, whether you get into a small group or not, what I want you to understand as you leave here this weekend, things like life change, things like priority change, things like actual healing taking place in your life, things like spiritual formation or spiritual maturity. Understand these things happen in the context of community. These things were designed by God to happen in the context of relationships. That means the best thing you can do this weekend to advance your walk with God is to take the things that you have kept private all of your life and make them public with a few people who you trust, who will listen to you, who will celebrate with you, who will love you and pray for you and cry with you. But that's what we're talking about. That's what community is all about. That's what a small group is all about. It's all about coming together with the same group of people on a regular basis. I think it probably should be weekly. And you study God's word together and you pray together and you open up your lives and share what's going on and you encourage one another and you grow. In fact, you do life together. Now, this isn't new. This is something we came up with. It's not a program. In fact, let me, if you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, let me read a few verses to you because I want you to see in Hebrews chapter 10 that the, the writer of Hebrews just blows out of the water. He just destroys that argument that my spiritual life is just between me and God, right? A lot of people feel that way, men especially. Well, it's just private. I keep, I keep that stuff to myself. Well, why don't you ever share anything? Oh, it's just between me and God. That's not the way I am. And you know what that is? I'm going to be honest. It's pride. So just call it what it is, it's pride. You're saying, I'm too proud, I don't have enough humility to actually open up to someone else. Even, the Bible, even though the Bible says do that, I'm too proud to open up to someone else and say, I actually have issues. I actually have struggles. I, there are actually some gaps and discrepancies in my life. We're just too proud to do that, so at least call it what it is. But this is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly. That's a great word if you've ever had a 16-year-old starting to drive. <laughs> unswervingly, you know. I mean, there are things we say as parents, when our kids are learning how to drive, I think God gives us a pass on. It's like, yeah. I don't blame you for saying that. You know, I mean, they're, they're right, but God gets it too, right? Because they're, they're on the left, they're the right, they're in the ditch, they're in the weeds, and you're like, would you just try to stay on the road? That's what the writer is saying here. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let's hold unswervingly. This is what he's saying. Don't you want to be consistent in your walk with God? Don't you want to see consistent victory over temptation? Don't you want to see consistency in your marriage? Don't you want to see consistency in your parenting? You know, don't you want your God, your walk with God to be straight down the road? You, you, don't you want it to be unswerving? Don't you want to finish strong? Don't you want to finish well? Most of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we hear that and we say, well, yeah, now that you say it that way, that's exactly what I want. Absolutely, that's what I want in my life. So he goes on to say in verse 24, then, in other words, if you want to be unswerving, here's the key. Let us consider, let's think about this, how we spur, the word means to motivate, encourage, prod, maybe even nag. Let's think how, how we can encourage and motivate one another on to move forward toward love and good deeds. So he says, do you want to be unswerving in your relationship with God? Sure we do. Then you need, this is what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to connect with a group of people that you're willing to give permission to so that they can spur you on, encourage you, motivate you in those areas of life where you want to be consistent. In other words, he's saying this whole Christian journey, not a Lone Ranger thing. 
never designed to be just you and God privately working through your issues. He says you're to take all of this you and God stuff and you're to make it public with a group of people. And then you let them think about it. You let them consider, because they're the ones who really know you, you let them consider how they can spur you on, encourage you, prod you on in your Christian walk, your, Christian walk, your life, your journey. Now let me tell you why this is so important. One of the things I love about hope is we're, we're surrounded by a lot of brand new Christians. You're either brand new in your faith, or at least you would say you're still in that infant stage of your faith. And you would never say this to anyone, but this is one of your secret fears. One of your secret fears is you're not going to be able to pull off this Christian life. I mean, that's one of your secret fears. You show up here every week and I give you 10 more things you're supposed to be doing. 16 things you got to stop doing. And you know your life, you hear all these things and, and you're like, I don't know if I can do that. And it's not because you're, you're not committed. I mean, you're committed. But if you're real about your life and you're being honest and you look at the temptations that you face every day, as you, as you look at the struggles that you face in your marriage, you look at the struggles that you face with your kids, as you look at your financial habits and patterns, your thought is this, God, <laughs> I hear what Mike's saying. I really, really want to be unswerving. I just don't know if it's in me to pull it off. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it is not in you to pull it off if you try to pull it off all by yourself. So the writer of Hebrews tells us this, the Christian life is really a team sport. The Christian life is really a group effort. I mean, it really does take a village if you're gonna get the consistency in your life that you really, really want. In fact, you show me a Christian that we would describe as an unswerving Christian. Any age, child, teenager, young adult, middle-aged adult, like me, ancient adult, any stage of life, you show me a Christian that is unswerving. In other words, they're maturing, they're growing, they're consistent. They've been able to break their bad habits. They've been able to change their priorities in life to begin to line up with what God would want their priorities to be. I will show you someone who is in meaningful relationships with other believers. I will show you someone who not only has these relationships, but they've given these believers permission to spur them on, to motivate them, to encourage them on to love and to good deeds. But at the same time, you show me someone who's made the decision to follow Christ. Maybe they've been baptized. Maybe they even have a brand new shiny Bible. But they continue to struggle and struggle and struggle. They continue to be inconsistent in their walk. I mean, one day they're way over here on the left. One day they're way over here on the right. One day they're way up here. One day they're way down here. I mean, they're all over the place. They still can't avoid temptation. They still can't break the bad habits in their life. They still have the same parenting patterns, the same marriage patterns, the same dating patterns they had before they ever began the relationship with Jesus Christ. You show me somebody like that, and I will show you someone who is not connected in meaningful relationships. I will show you someone who has not empowered other people to walk with them and hold them accountable on their spiritual journey. So if you're sitting here today and you got all this baggage you cannot shed, habits you cannot break, I'm telling you right now, this principle may be the principle that makes all the difference in the world in your life. And it's because even though the Christian life is personal, it was never intended to be private. So we're going to do everything within our power to encourage you to go public with a few group of people. In fact, here's our plan. Here's the big ask with a K, big ask. We're going to ask you to commit to getting into a community of believers. We call them small groups. 
That's what I'm going to ask you this weekend. What is a small group? Well, I mean, it could be six to ten singles. It might be four to six couples that covenant to meet together on a regular basis. And when you get together, hopefully weekly, some every other week, this is what we're going to ask you to do. Three things. We want you to pray together. We want you We want you to share, open up, and share what's going on in your life, and we want you to study God's Word together. Now, here's the cool part about studying God's Word. One of the biggest challenges in small groups, I don't know, what are we going to study now? You ever been there? Somebody said, well, let's study Leviticus. I hate Leviticus. Okay, let's don't study that. (laughs) Somebody want to study Ephesians? Paul wrote it. I don't like Paul. He was a chauvinist. Okay, we won't study that then. How about the shack? That's stupid. So, you know, you go round and round. I don't know what to study. You know what to study? So we're going to make it very easy. Our small groups are going to be sermon-based. What that means is this. I'm going to speak on the weekends. Even if you're not here, you can listen to it on Monday. It's online. And then we have a team. They're going to dig down. They're going to get four or five questions that you as a small group will begin to work through every week. And the reason you'll work through them is, one, clarity. Like, what did Mike mean last week when he said, if, if, if you're on Facebook, you're a pervert? What, what did he really mean by that, you know? <laughs> Or he used this verse last week. What, is, what do you guys think that verse really means? So there's clarity. Don't you walk out of here every week with questions? Second, how do you apply what we talk about? I mean, how do you apply that stuff? And then once you decide to apply it, who's going to hold you accountable? So you get clarity. You figure out what does this mean to my life? And hey, listen, this is where I'm struggling with this. Would you ask me next week how I'm doing? For example, next weekend, I'm starting a brand new series called You at Work. Six weeks. I've never talked about it. But who really is your boss when it comes to work? What happens when you're smarter than the boss? Everybody feels that way sometimes. Like there's an idiot running this company. You know what I'm saying? I, I, what happens when you find yourself in that situation? What happens when your biblical principles You're asked to compromise for the sake of your job. What do you do? How do you influence for Christ at work without getting fired? What does God expect of you when you are the boss? (laughs) Sign the apocalypse. (laughs) Um, Our light guy, he falls asleep every once in a while, hits those buttons, and it happens. It happens. So wouldn't it be great to get together and say, you know, Mike talked, I got a boss, man. He keeps asking me to do things. They're not ethical. How do I handle that? How did you guys handle that? Will you guys pray for me? Because I got to have a hard conversation about that this week. I mean, imagine being able to have those kinds of conversations, right? But not, we don't want you to stop there. We want you to get to know each other in such a way that you're beginning to do life together. You may decide as a group of people, we're going to take on this mission project together. Or we're going we're gonna to have yard sales and raise, we're going to go on a mission trip together. Or there's a need in our community that we're, maybe a need on our block, you know, Bill down the street, he broke his leg. Hey guys, what do you say if for the next two months as a small group we take care of his yard work for him? Maybe it'll be a way for us to build a relationship with him. Or, or so-and-so, she had surgery, we're going to provide meals for the next two weeks to our neighbor. We're just going to do that, right? Wouldn't that be so cool? Or maybe you have a block party where you just start inviting neighbors. You just say, we're going to get together in the cul-de-sac. And maybe you host it with your small group. And, and maybe it's just to get to meet them. And maybe, maybe they'll show up at Hope one day. And maybe, maybe they'll come to your small group. And maybe they'll begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, we want to be very strategic, very intentional about this. Because as you meet, we want you to continue to reach out to people. As you meet, we want you to never to feel like you're full. We want you to continue to invite new people into your group. And then when you get to the point where you can't really have intimacy anymore, we want you to draw numbers, put ones and twos, and one go, group goes one. But just multiply. 
and say, you're the new leader. We're going to my house. And you start all over again, reaching out to people. You should get in the habit of coming to church every weekend and the people who sit beside, hey, I'm so-and-so. Hey, by the way, are you in a small group? No, you ought to come to mine. We have a blast together. Oh, maybe I will. Some people just need that personal touch, right? And I know, I know this is, you know, uh, as I get to this part about multiplying, this is what I hear, the, uh, the mental breaks. Because some of you who even are in small groups, you were, you were with me up to that point. Mission trips, cool. Meeting, cool. Multiplying, mm. Because this is what you say, I hear it all. But our group's so special. Our group's not like other groups. Our group's, it's just something unique. It's special, you know. And these are our friends. Let me tell you something. When you multiply, they're still going to be your friends. The ones you want to be friends with will still be, you're not going to click with everybody in your small group on a personal friendship level. That's just not even realistic. I mean, our closest friends are people that we've been in small groups with. We're not in small groups with any of them anymore. We still go to dinner. We still take trips. We still socialize. It has nothing to do with it. You got to become more strategic about why are we doing what we do? Is it just about us? Is it, or is it, hey, don't merely look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others, right? So it's, it's about growing. It's about multiplying. Why is this part so crucial? Let me give you an example. I love to invite people to church. I do. I do. I just invite everybody. Christmas productions, love that. Christmas Eve, love that. Easter, love Kid City Live, love that. I met a f- couple of families today. Said so we came to Kid City Live Friday night for the first time, and they came back to visit this weekend. And I love to find out that someone that I invited for something special started attending one of our campuses, right? Now, this is the cool thing. With a small group, I know what the natural next step can be for that person. They can be, hey, you came to church? Yeah. You ought to come to my small group. A lot of our neighbors there, you'll know them. You've seen them at the pool. You know, you ought to come. We just get together and share what's going on in our lives and encourage. You ought to come just check it out. We're having a barbecue next week. I mean, it's just the most natural thing in the world. But for that to happen so that everybody can be included, everybody can experience community, we got to be strategically committed to growing and multiplying. A lot of people are blown away by the church like hope. I mean, they pull up on a Sunday morning, they see shuttles and balloons and clowns, and it's like, you know, six, two, six flags over Jesus around here. You know, like, wow. How do you ever meet anybody there? How can you ever build a real relationship there? Well, a small group, that's the great thing about it. It's one of those places where real relationships can take place. I hear a great story. Uh, Gary and I, where we work out, there's a the new young guy we met there. He's probably 30 or 31. He just retired from eight or nine years in the NFL, linebacker. And, you know, he took a job here. So him and his wife are here. And, and we hang out, we work with him, and we have a good workout with him, have a good time with him. And we just kept saying, y'all to come to our church, y'all to come to our church, y'all to come to our church. So we finally came to the Christmas production. Him and his wife, they have like a one or two-year-old. And then, after Christmas, they actually showed up a few weekends. And so Gary, who's starting a new small group at his house, he said, hey, you ought to come to my small group. And this week, he walked up to us at the gym, and he said, hey, we're in. How cool is that? Is that not so much better than just inviting somebody to church, and they just, they just show up at church? And what do you do if you meet somebody, and they say, hey, are you, I like you guys. Are you in a small group? Yeah. Can we come? Nope. Don't have room for you. You're like the innkeeper in the Christmas story. Mm-mm. Go to the stable. You know, no room. You know. That's why we've said from day one, if we're going to become larger as a church, we've got to be intentional about becoming smaller. We have to make room for everyone. And if for that to happen, and I know a lot of you small groups, you're like, we're so special. I just need you to be open to think about the possibility of what you can do in the kingdom. Okay? Just think about it. Okay? Now, I want to clear up a few misconceptions about small groups. 
by sharing some of my personal feelings about uh, small groups. And we're probably a lot more alike than you think. And maybe this will encourage you to get in a small group. Let me just say this. I don't do small group because I, I learn so much about the Bible. Rarely do I learn anything new. I mean, I've never driven home with Laura and say, wow, I tell you what, that John 3.16, I never really thought about it that way before. That was incredible. That's not why I do it. You know, it's not about learning. It's not about going deeper and becoming a theologian. It's about clarification and application, clarification and application. Who's going to hold me accountable for this now, right? Really, when you think about it, it's about becoming a doer of the word. A lot of us are really good at hearing the word, but how do we actually become a doer of the word? How do we begin to flesh it out and live it out? Here's another one. Uh, I don't do small group because I love to connect with new people. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I know you guys, you, you, you see me up here on the weekend. I seem like a fun guy, and I may act like it, but I don't really like new people, to be honest with you. I'm uncomfortable around new people. I am. And here's the cool thing. It's the way God made me. See, you can hide behind that all you want to. It's my personality. I have a weird personality. When I, was, uh, when I decided that Laura and I were going to move here and start the church, I, I went to the University of Indiana. I didn't tell this in the other stories, but you, you guys come at Luffin 15 and take up all the good seats, so I'm just going to tell you everything I didn't get to tell in the other services because we can stay here until 5. I don't have to speak again until 5. So when I decided I was going to start a church, uh, Fuller School of Church Growth in California partnered with a Dr. Charles Ridley who ran the psychiatry department, psychology department at the University of Indiana in Bloomington. So I went to the University of Indiana at Bloomington, and he did a two-day evaluation on me about, am I the right kind of guy to start a church? And I took a ton of these battery of personality tests. And then he spent the next day debriefing, interviewing, asking me questions, you know, those kinds of things. And he, then he writes about a 50-page report. But I'll never forget the next day when I went in after taking all the tests, he said, you're an odd bird. <laughs> yeah. I've done the test, you know the one where you find out what animal you are? I'm somewhere between a collie, an otter, a beaver, a coyote, and a meerkat. Somewhere in there that I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of there. Somebody used to be on staff said, well, you just, you got, you've taken the wrong test. You've got to take Myers-Briggs. I took that. I think I was an ESPN. That's what I came out as, an ESPN. <laughs> but I will tell you, because he brought my results. He says, Mike, let me tell you what I learned about you. Right split down the middle. You are 50% extrovert. And you are 50% introvert. You know what that means? When I need to be on, I can be on. But I'm, when I'm done with you, I am so done with you. <laughs> I don't want to see you at the restaurant after church. I'm done with you. I'm, I'm done with you, right? That explains why Laura and I can go to a party. I mean, she is a social butterfly. She's fluttering all over the place, meeting everybody, connecting, you know, networking, building webs, you know. I find one or two people I know go sit in the corner and hang out. And I pray Laura hurry up and gets tired so I can take her home because by then she needs a driver. She's in no condition. She's in no condition to drive on her own at that point. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mostly. Mostly. So being in a group of people that I don't know, that's tough for me. It's awkward on me. I have trust issues. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to share something going on in my life and get home and find out it's all over Facebook and Twitter, you know, and I'm out of a job type thing, right? So everything in me pushes back against that. So I don't, go, I don't do it just so I can meet new people. Uh, third, I don't do small group because I can't wait for small group night to roll around. I mean, I don't know if you, my, my life's slam-packed. I mean, I taught a two-hour discovery class yesterday. We got here at 7. 
Stayed all day. I'll speak five times this weekend. I'll finish up tonight at the five o'clock service. I'll go home. We got some former small group people over for a Super Bowl party. They'll leave. I'll go to bed. I get up tomorrow morning. I start all over again. I'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday's my day off. Most of it I'll spend in my office at home working, getting ready because I have to be back here all day on Saturday and Sunday to do it all over again so I can start again on Monday. That's my life. I don't have hobbies. I don't play golf. I don't shoot guns. I don't jump rope. I don't knit. I'm telling you, my life sucks. That's, that's basically what I'm trying to tell you. I'm just kind of where I am. So when I'm in a small group and small group night rolls around, rarely do I look forward to it. In fact, on those occasions when, when several people have to cancel because of conflicts, you know, somebody's got to work late, somebody's sick, somebody was traveling out of town, and Laura's like, oh, we're not going to be able to meet tonight. Too many people can't make it. I'm like, oh, that's so bad. But inside, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I've done a little happy dance. That's why I have most small groups in my house. I don't want to leave home to come to your house. I just want to stay right there. Am I not a great example? Follow me. Be like me. No, you don't be like me. Anybody else there feel that way about small group night? Yeah, some of you feel that way every week. I can't tell you how many times we've pulled up in front of houses at small group and Laura's like, we're not going into you. Pray about your attitude. Right? But when I get in the car to leave, I'm always like, man, I'm, I'm glad we didn't miss that. Right? So he said, well, Mike, then why do you do it? Yeah, well, I will tell you this. It's not because of any one person, not because of any couple that, you know, that we've kind of connected with over the years that have made the difference in our life. It's kind of the cumulative value. It has to do with the cumulative impact of what can happen in the context of those relationships. We had some couples over for New Year's Eve <clears throat> that we've been in a small group with over the years, and, and uh, we're not in group with any of them now, but... The guys went outside, and, and uh, we were smoking cigars. They were smoking cigars. I was offering up a burnt offering. See, that's much more spiritual. It's much more spiritual. But for some reason, I came in the house, and when I came in the house, there's one of our group, there's one couple in particular, they've just had a really, really tough year with a, with a, with a, a part of their family life. And uh, when I came in, this is what I saw. I saw one of the other women who had had an incredible tough time, very similar with their child, on her knees in front of her, holding her hand. And basically, this is what was going on. Hey, we're here for you. You're, you're not going through this alone. You're going to come out the other side of this. Let me ask you a question. Where else in society can you go to get that? I mean, I, yeah, I, I work for church staff. I get, I, you know, I got people around me like that. But where can you go in society where you're going to be reminded, I'm not doing this on my own, and I'm not alone? Where in society do you get to go? I mean, you can't do this on a weekend. Where do you get to track with people as they're journeying with God where you get encouraged by what's going on in their life? See, when I see stuff like that, it does incredible things for my faith because I got my own issues that I'm trying to work through, right? And so it reminds me I'm really not alone, and there are people praying for me. But maybe the best reason, I think, to be involved in a small group, and this really just hit me recently, I think it gives me more potential to impact people with my life than anything else I do. I think I have more potential to really impact people. Not this surface stuff. I've told you the statistic. You forget 90% of what I say by the time you get in your car, which hurts me deeply, just so you know. So that's not really impacting you a whole lot. I think I have more opportunity, more potential to impact people in a serious way by being in small group and sharing life with them than anything else I do in my life. In fact, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Right, by show of hands, how many of you plan to be alive in the next 10 years? Just raise your hand. All right. 
Right? One guy down here looked at his wife. She's, she's okay. <laughs> Tells me that he's had a good week. And she says, you may make it 10 more years. Um, <laughs> all right, most of us plan to be around. Here's my next question. How many people do you plan on influencing and impacting for Christ in the next 10 years? Have you ever thought about that? Nah, who has thoughts like that? How about this one? What's your plan for impacting and influencing people for Christ over the next 10 years? Some of you are like, well, Mike, I never really thought about it, but now that you, think, now that you asked me, here's my plan. I'm, I'm just going to live a good life, be a good example, kind of like an undercover Christian. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to, you know. Some of you are like, well, I'll tell you what, Mike, i tell you what I will do. If somebody just walks up to me and says, hey, can you tell me how to be a Christian? I'll tell them. I mean, what are, what are, of course you are. What are you going to say? No, I'm not going to tell you. Go to hell. You're not going to say that. No. You don't want to go to hell. You're going to tell them, right? Some of you are thinking, ah, I'll put a fish on my car and I'll ride around in the community and people <laughs> will see that. Oh, I should be a follower of Jesus, you know. We don't have much of a plan. So to you can come up with a plan. Or you have a better plan. Would you at least consider adopting this plan? I mean, think about it. If you would just get into a small group and allow God to do what he wants to do in and through your life for one year. Okay? And then you say at the one of, in, in one year, you're going to start a brand new group. And say you repeat that every 10 years. At the end of 10 years, you know what you've done? You've impacted a couple of hundred people directly through your life. But what if this? What if one of the groups you're leading, when you break it up to start new groups, what if some of them go out and they decide to lead a group? So they, they get 10. It's kind of like Amway. <laughs> and then some of those 10 go out and get, listen, Directly and indirectly, over the next 10 years, you could impact and influence thousands of people's lives. And if you would be willing to do that, and if I would be willing to do that, we can make history together. I mean, we could easily reach the 1.7 million people who make up the triangle. And I know what some of you are thinking, because you've been around church so long, you've just kind of lost it, and you're cynical, and you're thinking this is just pastor talk, and you're thinking, sure, right, Mike. You know why you think, you know why we think like that? We've never seen it done. I mean, churches are all fortresses. We're all about us. Come to us on our terms, and we're saying, no, we want to come to you on your terms. Right now, we have three points of impact. Even if we doubled and had six campuses, six points of impact. If we do it this way, where we're going to where the people are, we got thousands of points of impact. I mean, when we think about reaching the triangle, most of us think, well, we've got to build more buildings, and we've got to get more chairs, and we've got to add more parking spot. And that's it. I spent most of Friday negotiating with a guy about a facility that would incredibly increase our capacity in the triangle to reach more people. We're always considering that. That will always be a part of it as we reach new people out there. We want them to be in here celebrating with us. But I just want you to understand this. When Jesus left this earth, he didn't say add. He said, I want you to multiply. I mean, think about it. How else did one lone carpenter in three years start a movement that has covered the entire earth? It wasn't by adding, it was by multiplying. And that's why our greatest potential as a church, that's why our greatest potential as an organization 
It isn't what happens here on the weekend. Our greatest potential to impact our culture has everything to do with our willingness to get connected in community with other people, share life, rub against each other in life, and as we grow, we bring in more people, and we multiply, and we do it all over again. And here's the cool part. To do that, you don't need a degree. You don't need any new skills. You don't need a special talent. You don't have to learn to play the guitar. You don't have to go to seminary. You just show up and participate. You open up your life. You talk about what God is doing, and it's amazing how God will use that. We had a young mom here last night whose daughter tried to take her life this week. She's devastated. We'd all be devastated. But this is what I told her when I saw her last night. I said, you know, when that happens and someone calls me to the hospital, I can talk out a theory. I can do this. I can open this and talk out a theory. But next time when I send you, you'll talk out of experience. And you'll say, you'll get through this. About a year ago, one of our families. Uh, husband died, 52, walking down the hallway of his house in the morning, hit the wall, dropped dead. Left behind uh, two college-age girls and a widow. You know what she did? She started a small group for widows. There's 11 of them now. They come to the 415 service every week and sit in the row together. And you know what they want to do is, is grow and multiply because there's a lot of widows out there that need that kind of support. She's going to impact incredible people for the kingdom just by her life. I had a couple in my office, their marriages, they've, they've hit a real rough patch, a real rough patch. They're going to get through it though because of their character. But I told them, I said, here's the cool thing. You know, I can get up and talk on theory about how do you do these things, you can get through it, but you can sit in a small group with a group of people and a marriage is blown up and you can say, I just want to let you know we were there and we got through it and this is how we got through it and God's going to be faithful and get you through it. So we're just asking you to get together in a group that's committed to multiplying and forming new groups. Now, hey, if you got a better plan, you got a better plan than that to impact thousands of people over the next few years, then tell me about it. In fact, I, I want to hear about it. I'd like to hear it myself. You go for it. But if you don't have a better plan, why not adopt this plan? I mean, you're going to do something for the next 10 years. Why don't you take a little bit of that time and spend some of it changing the world? No, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I get that. I get that. So am I. I'm just telling you the cumulative value of being in a small group will allow God to work in and through your life and do amazing things, not just in your life, but in the lives of others. So we want you to connect. Let me tell you how you can do it. You've got that brochure in your bulletin. You can scan the QR code. You can text connect me to 919-594-2755. You can see it right there. We have kiosk out in the atrium today where you can go, and it would just hit the connect button. It's going to take you through down the road you need to go down. There are people with green balloons. You have any questions? They want to talk to you. See, some of you need a personal person. Like, here's another one. We have a brand new app, phone app. It's just called Get Hope. And, uh, and there it is. And uh, the problem is, every time I go to download an app, it says, what's your password? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, so I just put my phone down. I still don't have an app on my phone. Because my secretary set up my phone and I'm too stupid to say, Sarah, what's my password? You know, so I still, I don't have an app yet. We have real people who can help you if you're technologically challenged as I am. That's going to keep you from getting into a small group. But get the Get Hope app. It's got videos on it, videos like you saw today. It's got sermons on it. Everything you want to know about Kid City. Everything you want to know about children's ministry, student ministries, men ministry. Every calendar thing that's going on, it's right there on your phone. 
And it's a great way to use it to be up to date with what's going on. We want you to get connected. We want you to get connected. And we want you to see what God's going to do. And it's going to be awkward at first. You're going to sit down with a bunch of people. You're not going to know them. You'll figure it out. You'll, you figure it out at work. You figure it out on the soccer teams. You'll figure it out in your small group. I'm starting one in Abington. I live in Apex, the peak of good living. I live in Abington. And uh, I, got, I got room for like six more people, three more couples. And if you're interested, let me know. I live in Abington. I'm, I, I want, see, when you go on, when you get the email, you're going to get all these profiles, okay? And you can say, I want to be, be with other kids, my parents with other kids my age, or I want to be in my neighborhood, or I want to do this, or I want certain nights. You put all that in there, and you're going to get back the five or six emails that meet the criteria that you're looking for. Then it's up to you, the five or six small groups, then it's up to you to visit call, ask the questions, try to figure out which one you want to be in, and then just date. Go up, show up. If you like it, join it. You're not going to find a perfect one. If you find a perfect one, don't join it. You'll be the one that screws it up, okay? Okay? Not going to be perfect. It's not going to be just like you want. You're just going to make a commitment. You're going to be okay. So if you live in Abington, if you want to join my small group, let me know. Unless you're the lady, I don't know, but if you're the lady in my neighborhood that does this and asks me to slow down every time I drive down the street, you can't be in my small group. Now, I don't, I don't know if you go here or not, but if you're here, you're not welcome. I'm praying for you at my small group, okay? Okay. You have to go to another group. Ninety percent of our counseling load here at Hope would go away if we got everybody connected in small groups. Ninety percent, I believe that with all my heart. You don't need a counselor. You need a friend. You need accountability. In fact, I may start saying every time you call, ask for counseling. Are you in a small group? If you say yes, I'll say, well, then do you tithe. Because if I'm going to spend my time on you, I want to know you're spending your money on us. There you go. That's fair enough, isn't it? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for getting us to this point. This is huge. I think, this, I think the Hebrew people, as they used to live, leave monuments of stone every time that you did something significant in their history so that later on they could show their kids, they could point and say, see that? See that? And they would tell their kids, that's where God showed up and did something amazing. I, I think this is going to be one of those weekends where we, we leave monuments and, and we point back and say, you know when hope really changed? You know when it really began to impact my life? When we went through that series, Come Together, and I finally got that Christianity was never meant to be a Lone Ranger thing. It takes a village. It's a group effort. It's a team sport. And I decided to take what was private between me and God and I decided to go public with a few people that I trusted who would accept me and love me and encourage me to become all that I needed to be. That's when my life changed. So I pray for all of us. Give us the courage. I know some of us is just going to roll right off our back and we're going to go and we're going to continue our own mess. That's okay too, God. That's okay. We just pray eventually we all get there and that you will just blow our minds with what you're going to do because we're doing what we can from our side to get connected in true community. In your name we pray, amen.